If you are unfamiliar, uh, we took the word grace, which is what our church is named, if you missed that coming in the door. Uh, the G for us is generosity because we believe that God is a generous giver and because of the generosity of God, we can respond to God because He's loved us well. He's loved us intentionally. He's loved us intensely. God generously gives His love for us, so we take the things that we have and we use them for His sake in this world. Uh, today we're talking about relationship and what it means to consider the relationship that we have with God and the relationship that we how the relationship we have with God plays out in other parts of our lives. The other three, if you're taking notes, uh, authenticity will be next week. Confidence in the gospel of Jesus will be week four. Excellence in all that we do will be week five. So. Generosity, relationship, authenticity, confidence, and excellence. But today we're looking at relationship. I was really uh, looking forward to this message, and I love the text that we'll be in in Mark. But I begin to think about all of the different sermons I've heard on relationship in my life, and more often than not, they're talking about husbands and wives and how they interact with one another. Yet God, when he shows us in this text what it means to be in right relationship, he, he starts somewhere else. God defines for us what we are to do with the person of Jesus and who he is right here. So you're with me, Mark chapter 12. We're picking up together in verse 28, one of the scribes approached the teachers of the law. When he had heard them debating and saw that Jesus had answered them well, he asked him a question. Which commandment is the most important of all? Growing up in my home and spending a lot of time in my grandmother's house, whenever I would hear the word commandment, my mind would immediately attach to one number in particular, to Charlton Heston, for whatever reason, uh, sharing with us the commandments of God given to Moses on the mountaintop. And I would think that we have ten commandments, yet that's not the number that we find in the Old Testament. There are are the Ten Commandments that we're familiar with. However, if we are to look through the entirety of the Old Testament, we find that there are not ten, there are 613. And 365 of those commandments are negative. Don't do this, don't say that, don't wear that, don't eat that, don't, 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 don't. So, when this Pharisee comes to Jesus, some believe that he is coming with that attitude. Jesus, I have a load of commandments in my hands, and I'm not sure what to do with all of these commandments. Could you let me know if we were going to narrow this down to one thing, if we're going to boil this down to one thing, what is the commandment that I'm supposed to live by? Others argue that when he approaches Jesus, he is approaching him with a tone of, do you really know what you're talking about? We are not sure as to his tone in Mark's account of this story. We have a little bit uh, a better understanding in Luke from uh, the telling of the Pharisee coming to Jesus there. But regardless, we get to Jesus of all of the commandments, Jesus... 
Can you tell me which is the most important? And we notice that the reply of Jesus is completely something that you see Jesus do every time he answers a question. The man asks him for a commandment and Jesus responds with a prayer. From Deuteronomy, we see the Shema and Jesus quoting that. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus, in verse 29, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So, because we're dealing with numbers, and one happens to be a number, we have to begin to work as to how that affects and impacts the concept of relationship. We, as New Testament Christians, hear this text, and we hear God talking from His Word to us about what it means for Him to be one, and we consider a few things. One is that when God talks about oneness, it's not as if He is saying, let me give you a list of what is to be important in your life. If you'll make me number one, which is language that I've used, that you've used, that we've all used, that Pinterest has used, that for whatever reason the books that we read use, you make God number one and number two will line up and three will line up. Yet what God is actually saying here is not a matter of let's make a list that you try to follow. He's actually saying I want to be at the center of all that you are and all that you do. It's the idea of supremacy, of ultimacy. It's that we make and we see that God is number one. We don't make him that. You and I don't make God number one. That's who he is. That's, that's his essence. But we read the, full of, the fullness of Scripture, not just in this passage, but the rest of the passages that surround it, and we see other concepts that, that fulfill for us and fill in how God, who is ultimate and who is number one, exists in relationship because our God is a God of relationship. We see that because we are what we call Trinitarian Christians. We, are, we believe in the Trinity. There's a Father, there's a Son, there's a Holy Spirit. Now, for many of us, we grew up in traditions and we had poor teachings as to how this worked. And we had this visual of, of God who is angry and he sits on a throne and he has a long white beard that he won't shave. And then you've got Jesus, like little baby Jesus, with Will Ferrell standing beside him. And then you've got the, the Holy Spirit. And heaven only knows, any of us with Baptist background, we don't even get the idea of the Holy Spirit. So you've got this kooky concept as to what the Holy Spirit is. And all of them kind of do their own thing. And we're told that they're one. We don't really understand why they're one or how they're one. Yet when we look through Scripture, here's what Jesus says about the Spirit. In John chapter 16, Jesus shows us that the Spirit glorifies the Son and the Spirit declares Jesus to the saints, to all the believers. In John chapter 17, Jesus will continue talking about the relationship that he has with God the Father, showing us that God exists in relationship. And the reason that we, as believers in Jesus, would take this idea of relationship and esteem it is because God does. John chapter 17, Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven and prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who you have given to him. 
And this eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. C.S. Lewis, who wrote those cool Narnia movies, he calls this the dance. The God exists together, Father, Son, and Spirit, working together. This optimal picture of what relationship is. That God does not need anything outside of this relationship with himself. They function completely correct. And this is what we see in their function. In Genesis, when God creates, we see that God creates as an extension of relationship. Let us make man in our own image. God also sins in relationship. When we see in Isaiah, where Isaiah asks the question, who shall, when God says, who shall I send, who will go? He does not say, who will go for me? He says, who will go for us? For those of us who have been baptized, immersed in the water, the language that we use is language given to us by Jesus that shows us the perfect, unique, complete relationship of the Trinity because we are not baptized into one or the other or the other. When you and I are baptized, we say, according to Jesus, you are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The oneness of God exists to, when we use this terminology, we see that God is supreme and we would look to him as supreme and this trickles down and funnels down in this visual of relationship that we see through the text. The oneness of God is a matter of his importance, his place. It's a statement of fact. It's not what we desire for him to be. This is not Jesus saying, let's make God number one. Because as I've said multiple times in here, we don't get to make God one no more than we get to make water wet. This is who he is. It's his essence. When we read this in Deuteronomy originally, it's a reference to God being above and beyond all things in his, in his essence. He is alone. He is unmatched. He is incomparable. So we begin to think about this God who exists in relationship and that allows us to see how we would function with that. However, we struggle with the idea that God would be other, that God would be one, that God would be separate. And the reason that we struggle with that is the things that he happens to say to us at times are not the things that we would say and they're not the things that we would do. They're not the things that we would, the ways that we would act if we were God. We struggle that God would be completely one because we prefer for God to be a deified version of ourselves. We don't like to think that God would ever do anything that we would not do. But God, the Son, speaks to us. And when He speaks to us, He says that God is supreme. But God's supremacy and His lack of need does not mean that he does not want relationship with you and with me. And we see in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, and in every other account of this great commandment, 
how we relate to God. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Those are all relationship words. Those are all things that we've used when we talked about people that we love. When we talk about our spouses, I can't get you off of my mind. You're my soulmate. These ideas are present in us because God has shown us a unique, complete, perfect love that we work to respond to. We love everything. We love our dogs. We love our mamas. We love guacamole. We love every single thing. I'm really not sure how your mother feels that you use the same word to describe her that you used to describe an animal that you allow to live in your home or something you cover a burrito with. But we do love things. We, we love to love things. I have a love-hate relationship with roller coasters. You've been on a roller coaster, I would imagine. You may have been on a roller coaster this week, figuratively or literally. You get in line, you eventually wait in the line to get to the top of the coaster. It's a long wait, 7 hours, 37 minutes, 14 seconds. You buckle in, you then reach up and grab the click, click bar, click, 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 lock. You look at the trained professional, otherwise known as a 14-year-old girl. Is this thing on correctly? To which she replied, I don't really know. <laughs> Not awesome. Not awesome. Now the coaster is going to lie to you because it's going to round a curve. And when it rounds a curve, it will slowly move up a hill. Click, 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 click. And there are two types of people on that roller coaster. There are those who love the coaster. They think the coaster is phenomenal. They think the coaster is fantastic. And they're doing odd things as they slowly move up the hill. They're chanting things like, We want to die. We want to die. <laughs> they raise their hands as if anyone wants to smell them. <laughs> and when the coaster peaks at the top of the hill, those who love the coaster, when it goes screaming down the hill at 97 miles an hour. Their hands are up through every twist, every turn, every loop. Because their love supersedes their fear. There's another type of person on the coaster. That person is me. <laughs> the whole ride, I sit there with my eyes clenched, holding tightly to the bar clinging to the bar for life and breath and support, praying that the Lord our God will deliver me until the next time we have this foolish idea to pay so much money to be punished. <laughs> two types of love present. There are two types, two ideas, two responses to the coaster. There are those who love the coaster and there are those who spend their ride worried about the bar. There are two types of ways that we see people seemingly relating to Jesus. 
living out their relationship with this God. There are those of us who know that with life comes every loop, every trip, twist, every trial. But because he is our utmost passion, our greatest desire, we hold to him as our hands are up because he is worth it. And so many of us, though, we spend our lives claiming to be in relationship with Jesus when, in effect, we are in relationship with the bar that we cling to. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. In the original language, that's more than the thing that thumps in your chest. It's, it's a word that talks about your whole being, your complete person. Love the Lord your God with all of your soul. It, it, that's a root. The word there means to hunger after. Love God as if you hunger after him. That's relationship with God. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. That would mean that we as people would see that our relationship with God is not something that we um, emotively walk through. But that God has given us a, his word, the, the Bible. We believe the Bible to be true, inspired, authoritative, without flaw or fault and we trust that we would know this word and that that would allow us and that would help us to love God practically daily love the Lord your God with all of your strength the final of these four words is the outward expression of these three inward traits God calls us to love him, to be passionate about him. It's the great commandment is the love of God. And Jesus has just quoted from, from Deuteronomy. And this teacher of the law would know this quote from Deuteronomy. He's familiar with the words of Jesus. And then Jesus comes around the corner and he quotes another passage that's not from the Shema. He quotes from Leviticus chapter 19 and he talks more about relationship. What we have seen to this point is that we are called to have a vertical or if you're writing down words, which we do from time to time, an upward relationship with God. Jesus then says, love your neighbor as yourself so the love of God is the great commandment and commandment 1a is the love of man for God's sake that we participate in the world that we live in as if we have been affected by God would you say that the way you treat people around you shows that God has affected you. The God would call us to relationship. Now, there are certain words that come into play when it comes to personality, and they're really popular. They're more popular now than they've ever been. It's the idea of being an introvert. Any introverts in the room? Yeah, there are. I've met you. I have to tell you to welcome new people sometimes. Go say hi to them. Why? Uh, I'll work through it. And then there are the extroverts. We don't have those. I'm kidding. We do. Both of you. I love you. I love you so much. Neither of those is bad. But if we're not careful, our heart bends on making one or the other ultimate based upon who we are. 
And if you are so isolated from people around you because of the excuse of your introversion, that's sinful. And if you are extroverted to the point of wanting attention from every other person because you cannot find any hope in the relationship with the God you've been called to love, that, that's sinful. It's a manifestation of that. We are called to love other people. That means that your relationship with other people is not about you, but you need to have a relationship with other people. It's the love of man for God's sake. And if I'm just being truthful with you, I don't love this. Because it's way simpler for me just to do my thing and, and live my life. I don't talk about it much because I try to block it out. But I work out uh, daily. I go to this place called CrossFit. If you're unfamiliar, it's basically like they said, let's just torture people. Let's make them miserable. It looks like American Ninja Warrior, the course there, got married to a dungeon and they had a baby and that's where I go every single day at some point of my life. There, and these people love to encourage one another. They like to talk kindly to one another. And they always want to encourage those of us who are the last ones to finish workouts. Not naming names, but that's me. And there was a day that one of our church members, actually, we were, we were doing the workout. It was on November the 30th because I, I wrote it down. And this was the workout. You're going to, I, I did the math. They would divide this into four rounds. And over these four rounds, you would do pieces of these things. You would eventually, when you were done, you would have run a mile and a half. There are no bagels at the end for you to get or anything. You just run a mile and a half. You're going to bike for two miles. And then you're going to row for 1.25 miles. I don't know. For those of you keeping score at home, that means that over that course of time, I actively participated in 3.7 miles of exercise. And the closeout was running for me. And everyone else was finished. And I was doing the run of shame, just pitiful. Look at him. And one of the ladies comes up to me, trying to function in community with me, after she's finished her run, and starts to jog beside me, saying nice things to me. I did not want her nice things said. I took off sprinting away from her. Relationship. I did not want it then. I had to text message her and apologize later. We don't want any type of accountability when it comes to relationship. Because it's easy for, easier for us to slide into our own thing and we miss what we've been called to do. So, so God here speaks to us. And Jesus says the second commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. He lumps them together. So 
We love to talk Bible and to memorize Bible and to think through the Bible. And I would even argue that in our church, we have a really good idea of what it means to love upward if that is boiled down to what I know about God informationally and I'm going to interact with God because of that information. Love your neighbor as yourself is not just upward. It's inward as well. That means that we have a fellowship of believers that we've been called to, and we're called to love each other. Jesus says in John 13, 35, they will know that you're my disciple when you love one another. That is a church, that's an inward verse. We read in the book of Galatians that we should let us, let our, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are part of the household of faith. That is inward. And there's nothing wrong with that because the Bible calls us to that. That we would have relationship with one another. That you would love one another. And I want you to love one another, to care for one another, to belong to one another. The Bible is full of one another's over and over and over as to how the church should function. And as someone who has observed us as a family of faith for two years, I think we're pretty good at that. We do love one another. Someone's hurting, we help them out. We call and check on them. Somebody ran beside me. I just told you that story. She whispered the nicest thing. She said, sometimes I need someone to run with me too. Someone to run me to McDonald's. (laughs) We love upward. We love inward. Do we love outward? Charles Spurgeon, they call him the prince of preachers, not peachers. That's a vegetable or fruit. He says, you will not find in all of history any church, any church that has flourished after it became negligent of the outside world. A love for the unchurched and the dechurched in our sphere of influence is incredibly important. A love for lost people who are far from God, who need to be near to Him, is essential to Christian behavior. If you do not care about lost people, you are not functioning as a Christian. We had a situation where we we were getting emails from the people who own the the lot here. Um, We own our building. These people next to us own that building. I don't know what happens after that. Taco Bell owns their space. But we all share a lot. And they asked if we wanted a sign and signs are helpful and they're good and there's nothing wrong with signs. It would be great to have a sign. The sign that they would eventually recommend to us wasn't really the greatest sign. If you'll go in the parking lot today, you can notice it's about the size of this Bible. The one that's really high on a pole. I don't think there's anything wrong with us wanting a sign for a church or any church having a sign to point people to them. But do you know what's better than a sign? a people 
who care about the gospel of Jesus and are willing to tell the people that they interact with how important it is to them. That works way better than signs. That we would interact with others for the sake of Jesus. That we would be people who love our neighbors and share the gospel in word and in deed. Francis of Assisi was famous for a misquote. He didn't say it, but that misquote was, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. That's a dumb quote. It's a terrible quote. If that's on your Facebook, find it and delete it. (laughs) One, he didn't say it. Number two, I don't really know how we share anything without using words. Jesus says this about us. Actually, Paul says this about us. Therefore, you and I, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. We are representations. We are representatives. We are God's people in a broken world. Are you? That is how we've been asked to function as people who love Jesus. The basis for that, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, as we talk about this passage in Mark, he he alludes to it in the book of Luke. In Luke, where Greg read from earlier, we had the the story of the good Samaritan familiar with that you may, if you have church background, you acted out at some point because church drama was a thing that I've tried to work through. When Jesus tells the story, the Pharisee asks him, or when Jesus gives the commandment, the Pharisee asks him, who is my neighbor? Jesus does not give him an answer to that question based on person. The response of Jesus at the end of the story about a man who was beaten, when he gives his answer, he says, which one was the neighbor? What did he do? Not who was he, what did he do? The question that Jesus is asking as you look through the passage is, who is neighboring? And if we're to ask that of Grace Bible this morning, and I know I've got lots of guests in the room. Look, if you are thinking I'm yelling at you, you ain't seen nothing yet. I come after them every week. But... For those of us who are members of this church, are you neighboring? Every time a neighbor is acting insane, they need someone to be sanity. Every time a co-worker is complaining about their spouse, they need to see someone who says, it's difficult, but God has shown us how to interact in that relationship. Every time a mom struggles with a kid, which is every single second of every day, God has called us to say, yep, me too. But we can get through this. Let me show you how I do. The question that Jesus is asking is, boils down to this, do I do the legal thing? That's what they're saying. Do I do the legal thing or do I do the loving thing? And Jesus says, love is what fulfills the law. Inward, 
outward. What about loving forward? Does our relationship with God simply exist for Lake Jackson? For Clute? For Jones Creek? For Brazoria County? That is a short-sighted view of God. And that is a misunderstanding of the mission that he has put in front of us. The mission of God for us is to love to the ends of the earth. To care about people who are far from God and offer nearness to him. Though we live in a world where the idea of us ever saying that there is one answer seems to be culturally inappropriate. The word, the God that we have pledged allegiance to over and over says that he is ultimate and we've been called to go 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 we are in relationship with the ends of the earth whether we like it or not we have to choose if we are going to function in a healthy God honoring relationship or something to the contrary loving the Lord our God with our heart soul mind and strength and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. That roller coaster is super interesting. It eventually stops. And when it stops, you deboard the coaster. For those of us who did not like being on the coaster, we we gather our our cheeks from the back row and our ends, and we get it all together, and then we wobble off of the coaster. When you get to the bottom of the coaster, there are a group of people there who you don't know very well, but they've got one thing in common. It's not where they're from or where they're going. What they have in common is they are looking at a set of monitors. And when they look at the monitors, they get to see whether you were passionately riding the coaster or if you were worried about the bar. We are foolish to think that people do not see the way that we live. Loving our neighbor does not mean that we, everyone has to agree with us, but it means that we trust that we have been called by Jesus to love without condition. We realize that there will be no one argued into heaven. But the gospel of Jesus presented by his people through love lives through deeds that God has called us to care as much as we possibly can and when we cannot care to rely on him for the strength to care some more this Pharisee loves what Jesus said that they always like what he says until he brings it to its conclusion Mark chapter 12 you're still with me I would hope the scribe said to Jesus you're right. That's the biggest duh phrase in the whole Bible. Jesus, you are so right. You nailed it, Jesus. You have correctly said that God is one. And there is no one else except him. 
and to love him with all of your heart, with all of your understanding, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, it's far more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus, you gave me the answer that I was looking for. I agree with you. It's more important than ritual. It's more important than anything that we do, Jesus. I'm with you. Burnt offerings or sacrifices uh, and sacrifice were customary in the worship of the Jewish people during the, the life of Jesus. Jesus hears this phrase. And I think if we're really thinking about contextualization for us as a faith family in 2019, and you've probably not done a burnt offering lately. If you have, stop. But it's more important than music styles. You, we may have sang a song you didn't like this morning. We sang a couple I didn't like. Jared, not, we, where's Jared? Does he hear? You go to church here still? I don't always like the songs, do I? He doesn't always like my sermons. It's okay. We've only docked his pay twice over it. It's more important than the way that we do things. Jesus here is dealing with a man who is embedded in ritual. Because false religion is a relationship with tradition instead of with Jesus. And some of us have been churched enough that we've got a really healthy relationship with tradition and an unhealthy relationship with Jesus because of it. Jesus, you're right. Verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered him wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, there's two ways to read that. One is that you're really close, man. Or we can read it the way that it seems to be intended. Because to not be far from the kingdom means you're not part of it. So we choose to live and love and care and choose relationship. Because we believe that that matters to Jesus. Because he said the very thing. So how does that play out for us at Grace? How do we see relationship Working out. Well, we do that by get, getting together like this. We call this gathering. We, we gather to worship every Sunday. The thing is, gathering, if we're not careful, is just you sitting in rows and listening to people who are on stage. This is not a performance. If it is, it's not a great performance. We're not performers. But when you leave here, you're going to interact with people, I hope. And I hope that the people who... God has called us to lead and called us to walk alongside of. If you're with us for the first time, I hope they really love you in a great way. 
If you're a member here and you're hurting, I hope someone checks on you because we shouldn't know each other that well. We, we get together to grow. We, we meet together in life groups. In our life groups, we see relationships formed. As the pastor of this church, Jared, as the associate pastor of this church, our elders cannot know every situation that takes place in this room. We can't know what you're walking through. We love for you to be in community, to be in relationship with a life group because that does give us people who can extend into your lives and people who can serve you for the sake of Jesus. We really want us as a family of faith to realize that these relationships that we have with one another, they ultimately point to how healthy our relationship is with God. And if we are existing in isolation apart from relationship with other believers... We are not going to be in a healthy relationship with the Lord because we do not have a private faith. It's personal, it's not private. It wasn't designed to be. So if you're not in a group or considering a group or thinking about a group, I would encourage you greatly to think about a group. We've got good ones. Great leaders, people that I trust in every one of those homes. So... My prayer is that we will see relationship and that we will function out of it. That we will be the people of God, empowered by God for the purposes of God. To make him known to the ends of the earth. We do that optimally by loving one another well. And by loving those who are far from him that are around us. I you to bow your heads with me this morning. Thankful for you guys. We're going to sing a couple of things as we sing that I would love for you to hear. If you're here and you are maybe in that place, you're not far from the kingdom of God, but you're not part of it, I would love to pray with you. I would love to walk you through what this gospel story is, that God would send his son to die in your place to offer you salvation. And I'll be at the back corner of this room on my left-hand side, your right-hand side. If you're here and you are in relationship with the Lord and you're a member of this church, but you're not part of a life group, we're going to keep pushing you towards it. Because we need to be in relationship with one another. Lord, over these people, I pray that you will make yourself so known and your presence will be so heavy and the relationship that you have offered them will be so obvious that they will rush to plug in with other believers so that we can grow well together. Lord, we thank you for the relationship you've offered. We thank you for the model of how we are to function in you, Father, Son, and Spirit. I pray that we will seek to make much of you Lord, move in the hearts and minds of your people. Grow us. Grow us spiritually, Lord. And let our lives affect those around us. We ask this in your powerful name, Lord. If you need me, I'm in the back corner.